0: Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program.
1: A house that believes it is eternal is like a woman who believes that she will always be young, who wonders why anybody would choose to grow old. This program
0: features the work of 2011 writer Nora Wendell. Curator Susan Rich sat down with her in the studio.
1: I think it's interesting that for architects, we tend to think that our commerce as images that we sort of operate in the world of images and the world of floor plans and these drawings and things that we use to convey our ideas. It all tends to be visual and people or the clients don't communicate in visuals, you know, they don't communicate in floor plans, they don't communicate even in the most elegant perspectives or photographs, they communicate in language, you know, and in stories. And text and words offer more room to imagine the possibilities of a space and of a world than maybe an image does. I have
0: read, and maybe you can confirm this, that in ancient Greece, architecture students were tasked with writing poems about buildings, the way students today might be asked to sketch a building.
1: I think that makes complete sense. I made a realization about this house, the Farnsworth House, because I was writing a poem about it. And I was writing about the glass in the house. So it's an all glass house in Plano, Illinois, in the middle of like a of a meadow. Um, and the client hated the house because because she said people could see her at night, her lights were on, it was a dark field and people could see her in the house because the house would glow from the inside. But what I came to realize in writing a poem was that if you're in a if you're in a brightly lit Space and the space beyond the glass is dark. Then not only are you being seen from the outside, but the glass is a mirror. So what I realized in writing this poem was that part of the reason I think she hated living there was that she could actually see herself, even though she never writes about that explicitly in her memoirs. It suddenly became apparent to me when I was I was sitting there writing about what it must be like to be in the dark house, and it dawned on me that's what it is. It's because she can see her reflection there. You know, she can see herself as this aging woman alone in this house, you know, in the middle of nowhere.
0: Now we'll hear a selection from Nora's live reading.
1: I'd like to begin just by prefacing what I'm, what I'm going to be reading because I'm describing a house that if I'm, if I'm speaking to architects, they're usually familiar with it. If I'm speaking to writers, I've discovered, or anybody else, I've discovered that a little introduction helps and goes a long way in the in the reading. So I would like to begin by saying that architectural history is a narrative, most often written by those who design the built environment. And the Jack Straw Program provided me the opportunity to write architectural history through the eyes of one of architecture's most infamous and troublesome inhabitants. In 1947, Dr. Edith Farnsworth commissioned a simple house, a weekend retreat from her work in Chicago, to be built on a rural riverside location in Plano, Illinois, literally in a a floodplain. By 1951, she was the owner of an all-glass house, the first modern house built in America, according to the tenets of the international style of modernism. To design this house, of course, Farnsworth had hired the founding father of modern architecture, German émigré architect, Mies van der Rohe, so it wasn't a complete surprise to her, but it ended up being something of an experience. The house was made (laughs) of three materials, steel, flawlessly painted white was the exterior structure, and glass, which was the exterior envelope of the house. Uh, the floors were made of white travertine marble inside and out. There were no interior walls except for one partition, which was made of primavera wood, and that contained two bathrooms. That was the only um, mention of privacy in the entire house. Uh, the architect himself described the house proudly as binach nichts, a German expression meaning almost nothing. Dr. Farnsworth lived in the house for 20 years, primarily as a weekend retreat, and famously despised it the entire time, (laughs) publishing articles and interviews in House Beautiful to voice the impracticalities and the psychological distress of living in a completely glass house, and she eventually sued the architect. (laughs) Today, the house is a museum. And Farnsworth's experiences have not been embraced by, my, by mainstream architectural history whatsoever. She's actually recorded as something of a problem. And the, the greatest mention you hear of her in architectural history books is that she was unattractive. That's what they'll say, that she looked like a horse, actually, specifically is their description. Uh, I will read five parts of a persona poem, in architectural history written through the eyes of Dr. Edith Farnsworth. Um, A friend of mine who's a poet who lives in Chicago and works at the Newberry Library sent me traces of her own archive. So the letters, the correspondence, and her own poetry inform this work as well as my own. Um, Because this is a persona poem, the I that I express refers to I, Edith Farnsworth. And only the very last poem, um, entitled The Intimacy of Glass, is written in my own voice, but the the rest are in her voice. Design. I wrote down on the edge of the drawing table before you the sum. $40,000. Now can we have our house? I will build this for you, as I will build it for myself, he said. In the big drafting room, the boys sat at their tables, entranced. They whispered, this is the most important house in the world. Construction. Look, a man, the architect, splendidly overcoated. Feeble against gravity, against time, he leans heavily against a damp stump along the shore of the river, nursing his arthritic hip. Like some medieval peasant, he points. I follow his finger to the proper location, driving tentative stakes into soft earth. The earth opens, machines roll in, eye beams drop into the ground as living takes measure. The land populates with white travertine slabs. Lying on the grass, they wait, like teeth or headstones. Initiation. Maybe it was always a poem drifting down this river before it washed up here to become a house. Maybe that's how I got here too. Women and rivers have a long and complicated history. We lock, swallow, and carry water through the channels of our bodies, life-giving great destroyer. See, you may build the bodies, but I find and fix them. Why would I want to live here alone? I have seen many women sewn into houses, like shiny buttons on decorated jackets. The more light reflected, the better to blind the beholder but a river will keep your secret, changing it over and over into a truth. Out of the same river, each night, darkness slowly rises. One by one, I invoke the electric flames of three bare bulbs. Out of this darkness, glass walls become ghostly mirrors in which I see myself repeated over and over, the last of me hovering at river's edge. When your architect is afraid of death, He will design a house of echoes, in which you begin again forever. The more light reflected, the better to blind the beholder. House Breaking Here the rooms are not defined by walls, but by the company of objects that one keeps. Every day is a building day. Build a bedroom by throwing the mattress down against the floor. The rest of the room will be built of the scent of singed hair, The raw throb of skin, too close to the fireplace. Bright as hell, fresh, without measure. In this eternal house, how is the transcending to be done? Locust husks, blue scarves, buckeyes, stamps collected as a travelogue, seven portraits of aunts long dead, line the coffee table. Letters unsent, address stamped and sealed in paper tombs, collect dust on the desk. In the kitchen, I break eggs into a bowl, Turning the shells upside down to line the counter with three four miniature domes, a house that believes it is eternal is like a woman who believes that she will always be young, who wonders why anybody would choose to grow old. Fools, I palm the keys and I wait. I thought I could always stand here, that I continue standing here while the river rose while the birds built nests under my feet, while families of winged things came multiplied and fled, while the river rose still higher, while the world turned dark. But when I impose my own pale cycles of living within this house, when I open this small empty window, when I pull one thin metal chain, I flood the yard with light, and then it is only I exposed, small in thought, weak of tooth and nail, scrubbed too clean to endure. It is not the things, but I that have been kept. Reverse engineering a glass house. I read somewhere that this house is like a poem. Well, what does a poem do but tear a brief hole in the world? Who is to enter this poem house with you? Whose eyes would fall over these white lines and knowingly embrace them? Not mine. I never read your dense paragraphs. No, I have made a strange home in the hole that this house tears in the world, fixed here by choice, reading this passage with the tips of my fingers, gliding them over the gaps between the marble tiles and the floor. I sink onto my knees. The smell of marble is sweat, salt, back-breaking labor. This afternoon I will place some calls, and I will see about returning this house. First to go must be the travertine floors, each piece carefully prized out of formation like a tooth, carried in the arms of the man that placed it, who, though strong, leans slightly forward as he tiptoes back out of the house. Invisible, the hands that made this. I will watch all afternoon as the painters work at the steel, the white, flat enamel melting onto their brushes as steel grows ever blacker and every bucket is filled to the top. I will watch as other men... Sand the denuded steel, leaving sharp burrs that cut in their wake. My face, chest, and shoulders will be warm in the glow of the welding torches as columns and beams are unfused, their ceremony of the joint undone, the language of fire that connected two things broken. Black steel beams will linger on the grass, waiting to be subjected to an open fire, <coughs> to be melted down to ore, to be fed carefully down mine shafts near Lake Superior, to be returned to the bottom of the earth. The glass I will break myself and scatter across the site. This ending would be more poetic than reality, more poetic than the simple hole in the roof that has allowed the house to fill with water. I place my finger in this hole, I photograph it, and, for good measure, I tear it a little further. I could keep tearing. Just with my index finger, I could tear this house right out of place. The Intimacy of Glass, or The End. How am I supposed to write with your voice if I am right here, but you have that far off look? Maybe then, this is a poem about the intimacy of glass, which, like the intimacy of history, brings two sides together only to look. I could write this poem like glass, collapsing the distance between you and I, if it is all too vast and terrible one of us can turn the page. Thank
0: you. Soundpages was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2011 curator of this program is Susan Rich. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure and CJ Lazenby. Narrator is Alyssa Keene. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.